networker is like a great interviewer. I'm huge on authenticity, guys. Um, you know, it's a big part of, of, of my message. Claim your local listings and don't get caught um, paying someone for your local listing. If you want to be successful, you got to do six things a thousand times. Not a thousand things, six times. And when in doubt, give to other people and don't expect anything in return. But in giving to other people and helping them, it almost always comes back. It's using the power of partnership, creating trusted partner networks to work with you to make your company be an offer more than just you. They've done 90% of the work. It's your job to do the last 10% to meet them in the middle. Don't let the fear of losing be greater than the excitement of winning. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ask Valor Masterminds podcast, brought to you by A-Advanced Septic Services and Fuse Networks. My name is Galen. And I'm Joe. We're coming at you from the BD Local Studios in Tacoma, Washington. So, Joe, for our new listeners and viewers, can you tell everyone how our podcast came to be, please? Sure. So, it first started out as a Facebook group page, and the purpose was to bring business owners together to kind of just communicate with one another uh, ask questions, share tips, things like that. And we thought, what a better way than to start a podcast to to kind of bring on different guest speakers that mm-hmm. are experts and on different topics as it relates to business so that they can educate um, our audience. Yeah. And just like, you know, anything related to business. Right. So thanks for tuning in and on all the podcast platforms or yeah. uh, could be readily available. So before we get on to our main guest, our previous guest was Mr. Desmond Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um he has a podcast himself, Cap, uh, Campfire Capitalism. What was one of your takeaways that you had when Desmond was on our last episode? Well, really the purpose of his bringing it was talking about phone sales mm-hmm. and how to navigate phone sales and how it's kind of a lost art. So, I mean, I don't have just one takeaway. I would suggest once we drop the episode here in a week or so, just go on and listen to it because he just shared so many, just so many good little nuggets about how to increase your phone sales, um, which will help grow your business. Awesome. And we'll have that episode up shortly. So to get today's guest, we have Mr. Mark Kudre joining us. Mark, welcome. Welcome, Mark. And um, let me, let's formally introduce him. So recognized as a premier thought leader and practical strategist who delivers documented gross margin gains and net profit results in today's highly commoditized price-driven markets. His passion is inventing exceptional business models and procedures that excel to their fullest potential. Mark's work has been published globally more than 500 times. He also presented it at hundreds of uh, industry events over four decades, very experienced. So his work has received multiple international awards for innovation and lifetime achievement. As a lifelong learner and problem solver, Mark has always used his business as a proving ground to develop unique strategies. They are known for their innovation and profitability, which are then syndicated within their respective markets. In his current efforts, focus on the use of artificial intelligence, accelerated learning, and the physics of profit to make any business competitively unique. This advantage results in double-digit profitability with significant, significantly less effort. A mandatory requirement is that the foundation of his processes be universally applicable. He has worked with companies in the following industries, printing, uh, specialty graphics, apparel, decoration, steel fabrication, call centers, holistic wellness resorts, contracting, remodeling, and service professional practices. Please, everyone, welcome Mark. Mark, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Happy to Um, be here. All right. So 
everyone likes those kind of words, those buzzwords of um, increased profitability, less work. So you're still working, but smarter, not harder. So in a little bit, we'll get into it. And I think our audience will be really excited to hear some of your insight on um, some of the nuggets you've learned over the years. And I'm just curious, Mark, what's your favorite industry to work in? I don't really have a favorite industry. Everybody, to me, variety is the spice of life. Mm -hmm. um, I get perspective on business from every individual vertical market that I work in. So what's common in one market may be completely absent in another market. And this provides innovative um, opportunity to create something new. And this is one of the foundations that I use in helping to make any company competitively unique, which we'll talk about momentarily. Awesome. One thing that makes all businesses competitively unique is their website. So all businesses should have a website. So we're really proud of our hashtag Valor Cares initiative. Joe, can you talk about that for a little bit? Sure. So the purpose of our Valor Cares is really to give away for businesses. It's a way for us to give back to businesses nationwide. Uh, every foundation for a website's online presence should be their website, mm -hmm. making sure it's built properly, functions properly, have different call to actions, have different pages laid out properly. So our way of giving back to businesses is just to uh, give away free website builds every month. So if you want to go to our website, our Ask Valor Masterminds podcast website, click on, the, click on Valor Cares and submit your information and who knows, you could be next. Awesome. Thanks for that, Joe. We have our A Advanced Septic Pump You Up quote of the day. So usually we, we always ask our guests a good motivational quote. And this one kind of stuck to me just because I think it'll stick with our audience. I'll read it right now and get Mark's thoughts. Only three things can happen and two of them are bad. So Mark, talk to us about that. We're eternal optimists. So we think of, oh, that one out of three is the good thing, but two, th two bad things happen. Tell us your insight on this, please. So this, is, this was an insight that I gained through the COVID experience that we've been through. Everyone was traumatized. I talked with over 600 companies and had more than 9,000 business connections of $1 million to $10 million companies mm -hmm. over COVID. And what I learned from this was that the successful companies looked at this experience as an event, as a point in time. And in order not to be traumatized by it and incapacitated by the disruption that it presented, their perspective was this, it can help me, it can hurt me, or I'm not sure. So from that, I created this model of there's only three things that can happen and two of them are bad. And this means that if you want any situation, any disruption, anything that's happening in your life, you have to be able to look at it from the positive perspective. And this is something that goes counter to the way that we are born with. We're always looking naturally at the bad side. Right. right. This is because of the instinct that we have to, of preservation. What's the worst thing that can happen here? How am I going to protect myself against that? So we lean into the dark side, the negative side, and this is what keeps us from making progress moving forward. All of my clients through COVID came out of COVID with less employees, less top line sales, but significantly greater bottom line sales and more time available. So that was a huge transformation to them. And everyone else was still during the headlights 
because they didn't know how to uh, approach the the disruption that was there. Right, and we've <clears throat> we've talked about on this podcast before the three P's of the pandemic. Did you pause, panic, or pivot? And your one out of three is the pivot. Do your customers pivoted and found a way to kind of grow mm -hmm. and kind of like you know innovate and move forward, right? So Absolutely. Our Fuse Networks Did You Know segment. Is your business one of those ransomware targets? Ransomware does not discriminate by industry, audience, business size, or otherwise. It will always be a threat to your organization, no matter what you do or who you serve. Contact Fuse Networks for your free consultation. They can take care of your needs. So there's a couple myths that Mark sent us that I kind of want to uh, present and get his thought on. We've heard this one before, even like uh, growing up, my parents would kind of ingrain this in me still. in grade school. Yes, still. even to this day. Work hard to get ahead. So Mark, help us debunk that myth, please. Well, most of that advice came from our parents, most of which were not entrepreneurs. They were yep. working for the school system. They were working for the government. They were working for the county. They were working for somebody else. They were in a job. They were right. not being entrepreneurs. And my experience, I realized this. I started my first company when I was 19. We went from 200,000 to 4.5 million in 18 months. And wow. I was wow. working my tail off, but I wasn't making any money. I was working, working, working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, literally for months at a time. And one day I sat down and I said, I'm exhausted. How is it that I, I cannot work any harder? I'm, I've got a top line sales, but that doesn't mean anything because I have nothing left over. I can't make my payroll this week. Yeah, right. so this is when I realized, and this was way back in May of 1978, that working hard is not necessarily getting ahead. So at that point, I began to look at the elements that would cause us to move ahead. And those elements were cash in the bank and profitability. And yet all we hear about is the go-go growth of top line revenue. What's your growth? What's the, uh, we made the Inc. 5,000. I, I say top line is vanity. Bottom line is sanity, right? right. So if you've got money in the bank and you've got time and you've got profitability, you're getting ahead. And over the years and the decades, we've refined this and I've refined this to the point where now, uh, it, it's almost exactly the opposite. I want to work less and make more. Absolutely. And don't we all want to do that? Work <laughs> right. less and make more, but we're caught up into these, these falsehoods that we hold as true and none of them are true. And we see that today in almost some of the, like the SaaS industry, software oh. as a service or tech companies where, oh, we're worth $2 billion, but you know, they're still not, they're in the red, right? They're, they're not profitable yet. They get these huge, huge inflows of cash, but then they're not profitable. So they get, you're seduced by the number like, oh, I work for this $3 billion company, but are they really profitable? <laughs> you know, that, that almost That's hits the nail on the head. That's not a company. Those valuations are based on some artificial metric that just doesn't exist. It's based on the, the number of new clients that you acquire, new customers that you acquire, new revenues on the top line. Mm -hmm. They, they take that to the VCs and they get funded based on the growth because that's how the VCs exit. They exit right. based on this growth. It's a Ponzi scheme. I hate to, you know, I hate to be <laughs> conspiratorial about it, 
but it is literally a Ponzi scheme because it's not sustainable. I mean, look at what happened with Theranos and, you know, there's a ton of different ones that are out there. We work, um, you mm. know, many of these ones were based on this artificial growth number, but they had no fundamentals underneath. So I'm like, let's step back and work on the fundamentals. Don't be seduced by the top line growth number. That's an ego thing. It's right. not about being solid and sustainable. Awesome. Build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. Uh, so help us debunk this myth, please. Oh my God, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, I believe this from the beginning. I've always been an inventor since I was, my earliest memories, I was inventing things. And I was always inventing better things. Uh, and that's one of my core values is to find a better way and share it with others. Uh, I don't believe in holding it to yourself. So over the years, I've, been, I've done many, many inventive things that are really innovative. And what I found is sometimes it takes 25 years mm. before the market catches up to your concepts. And especially if you're thinking five steps ahead, which is one of my mental frameworks that I work with, when you create a truly innovative position, something that is not in the marketplace, the market doesn't flock to you. The reason they don't flock to you is because they don't recognize what you've got. They have no frame of reference. They're comparing it to the same old, same old. Right. As a result of that, your stuff is like, well, how crazy is this? Is it real? It can't possibly be this good. So you've got to overcome the friction of belief. And that is a hugely uh, expensive process. process. Mm -hmm. And if you look and study innovation what you'll find is the truly innovative companies they focus on creating a great product with a great technology and they almost always burn out because they spend their money on the innovation and not on market education so mm -hmm. what happens they go out and they and they find an investor or the investor acquires them or they go bankrupt because they run out of cash and then the companies that really recognize the value pick them up for pennies on the dollar plug them into a mature distribution network and have the credibility of an established company and off they go. This happens over and over and over, especially in a tech-driven world. So nowadays, compared to 30, 40 years ago, when you have the internet and social media and these different digital touch points of marketing, does the process still remain the same from 30, 40 years ago that you're educating? If you have a, a true innovation on a product, or a process, whatever it is. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. the original, you know, I, I'm a big researcher. Mm -hmm. I've always been a big researcher. And what I found is that the academic research that creates the foundational philosophies that are being applied today almost always happen between 25 and 100 years prior to the events taking place. Mm -hmm. Invention of the laser, the invention of holography, the invention of microwaves, the invention of cell phones. These are 100-year-old technologies that Tesla uh, brought forward in the 1890s to the 1920s. But the core technology didn't exist until today, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the original work that was done on the study of innovation was done in 1962 by a guy named Everett Rogers. And he wrote a book called um, Diffusion of Innovation. And Diffusion of Innovation studied how new ideas are presented into society 
whether they be industrial, social, medical, um, agricultural, it didn't really matter. He looked at hybridization of corn. He looked at um, penicillin. He looked at the evolution of, of the machine age um, and the mass standardization of machine parts. And he looked at how those things were presented and how long it took them to be adopted into the, the society. And from that, he developed a statistical approach, which was popularized by Jeffrey Moore in 1991 with the book Crossing the Chasm, which many people may know today. But that was work that that book was all based on the work of Edward, Everett Rogers. Um, and what that represents is the innovators, the early adopters, the early mainstream, the late mainstream, and the laggards. And this represents a statistical representation of a normal bell curve. And the innovators are only two and a half percent. So basically, 97 and a half percent of the population doesn't recognize what you're doing. Right. Um, the closest followers to that are going to be the early adopters. And these are the ones that stem back and they originally call the idea crazy and off the wall, but they're watching it and they're using that as a defensive mechanism mm -hmm. not to disqualify themselves as authorities. But then at one point, Joe looks over at Tom and says, hey, what do you think that Kudre guy's thing is that he's got right now? I mean, it's crazy. And Tom looks back and says, you know, I thought it was crazy too, but the more I look at it, the more I'm interested in it. And then the other guy, Joe says, you know, I just wanted to make sure that was right. So let, hey, let's go in. Mm -hmm. So these are the cool kids in school. They're the ones that listen to the new music. They have the newest fashion. They got the newest gadget. They got the best cars. They know all the, the buzzwords. These are the early adopters. They represent 13 and percent of the population. Then there's the chasm. And the chasm represents anywhere from nine months to 24 months before the early mainstream is comfortable enough to go in and accept the stuff that the cool kids have. Mm -hmm. Could be financially driven, could be socially driven, could be a lot of different things. But that model still exists today. And if you notice what companies that are really innovative, like Apple Computer, have done to collapse that chasm, mm -hmm. they will announce a product six months before it's available and then put it in the hands of the influencers that then write about it and use it and talk about it. So when it becomes available, there's a line out the door at the Apple store to get it. And that provides social proof that collapses um, the question mark about whether the technology is viable or not. And the early mainstream is boom, they're in it and they've got multi-billion dollar launch week. So to bridge the gap of that chasm, you almost have that lemming philosophy of, all right, the early adopters, you're going to show off, feel comfortable. And then everyone who follows them, like, oh, it's that Joe and Tom quote, like, Joe, oh, Tom has an iPhone too, and yeah. you have one? I think it's time for me to get one. That's why I'm going to exactly. wait eight That's hours. Exactly right? what it is. It's the comfort, and it's about reassuring a lack of self-confidence in your own individual opinion and own individuality. You're looking to be with the group. And mm -hmm. there's all kinds of social studies that have been done around group behavior and group psychology and what's happening, how many people are influencing social trends. We're living in a period right now where this is incredibly prolific, the impact on social media. Who are the people on social media? Are they real people or is it fake bots? Is it artificial intelligence that's creating news with GPT-3 or some other AI-driven 
model that's creating things that are controversial that are designed to either bring a group together or separate a group and be divisive. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of things that, that are happening. And as a student of society and a student of business, I watch this with incredible interest. I try and detach myself emotionally from the politics and say, hey, what is going on here? And apply it to what I know based on the historical approach. So let's let's get into it. The competitive advantage has three levels. We're gonna to, we want to talk to the cool kids, our audience right now, right? That you mentioned, and then really kind of to get into it. The these the last part of our podcast here. So um, competitive advantage, three levels. You talk about, or we'll talk about competitive uniqueness, competitive durability, and competitive longevity. So. I guess take it away and kind of talk to our audience of right. breaking that down. Not ev not everyone in the audience is a tech company, so but right. you, as you it said, it matter. applies to all businesses. Take it away New for business. us. I've, I've applied this to over four hundred businesses over the last six years. It works for every single business I've approached it to, and so essentially, what happens is companies come to work with me because. They're not making any money. They're working really hard. They're mm -hmm. in a super competitive marketplace. They may have a new competitor that's come in and lowered their price to the point where they're not making any money to buy their way into a market, and they don't know what to do. And so the first thing that I do is I've developed a, a machine learning AI model that I use. I get uh, the company to go through a questionnaire. And we take the results of that questionnaire and we put it into the, the machine learning model and it creates a visual three-dimensional graph of the areas that that company is operating in. And basically it gives me a view, like looking at some of the stuff that we're seeing from the new uh, uh, telescope that they just launched. You see these incredible pictures in space that represents areas of interest. So it might be a heating and air conditioning company, for instance. They do heating, they do air conditioning, they do air conditioning repair, they do new sales, uh, they do service. So now you've got all these areas. And when you see it visually, the AI allows us to go in and say, these two areas are not being served, they need to be linked. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to do this you're able to say, okay, you're not doing this right now. And in fact, nobody in the industry is doing this right now. So if you do this in this way, it may be 24 hour service with no extra service charge. It could be, you know, something like that would be an example. Um, but that makes them competitively unique. Well, that competitive uniqueness, as soon as it shows up in the marketplace, the, there's a decay time. And that's the competitive pressure on that. So the first thing we want to do is create competitive uniqueness on three or four perspective levels or dimensional levels. So it's not just one level of uniqueness, it's multiple levels of uniqueness. So it might be the level of service and the time frame that the service is delivered in and the guarantee that comes with the service. That, those are three super simple ones that, that everybody can relate to. Right. Not ones that I would use, by the way, because they're too common, but you can relate to that. So once they create that uniqueness, then we develop competitive durability, which is how hard is it for a competitor to figure out what you're going to be doing and to compete with you? So this is why we want to create multi-dimensional or multi-perspective competitiveness, uniqueness. So they're 
trying to figure out what's happening on three or four different levels at the same time. That's going to take them time. That gives you durability. Once they start figuring it out, now they're going to show up in the marketplace as a viable competitor. You will have had a head start. Now, depending on if it's a bigger company, if they've got bigger ad budget, if they're more mature, they got more distribution, whatever, they're encroaching on your position in the marketplace as far as unique until they reach parity with you where you're equal. That distance is called longevity, competitive longevity. Do you want to make that six months? Do you want it to be a, be a year? Do you want it to be you know, two years? Whatever it is, there are strategies for what that is. And with the way that I work, one of the other frameworks that I work under is a framework that I call Think Five Steps Ahead. And thinking five steps ahead takes this competitive model and extends it to version five. So we're in version 1.0 until we reach competitive longevity. That's the point where we instant release version 2.0. Now your competitor just caught up with you and you turned on the afterburner, you take off. Now they've got to go back and go through the durability stage and the longevity phase to catch up with you again at which point you release version 3.0. So this is all a very structured process on how this works. It's really uh, very motivating to business owners because they've never experienced this kind of perspective before. And it really energizes people that have been beat down in a commoditized price-driven world. So for our, some of our audience who may not have a chance to do the questionnaire, is there a good practice that they could do to like mimic this process? You know, like uh, just, you know, there'll be a couple business owners that'll be listening. And I would say the profile of them mostly would be, they would be the David against the Goliath. Some of the businesses oh, looking to get market share. Um, but if they don't do the questionnaire, are there like two things sure. that they could do or like um, sure. a mini version of the questionnaire that Absolutely. they could implement? Absolutely. So the key thing there is that if you're small going against a big guy, big guys are average and they're slow. So okay. if you're small and superior, what I'm fast. Oh, I'm, a big, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to me. I'm a fast big guy, but sorry. Sorry. You can move quickly and make decisions. You can pivot quickly and you can improve the product, the level of service, the time of delivery, the guarantee, all of the usual factors. You can go out and look at any of the things that you help you to, to differentiate you from everyone else. Look at your major player in your market that you're trying to compete against and reverse engineer what they're offering. What is it that they're offering in the marketplace? And from that, go to the opposite end of that and say, okay, they're ground zero. We want to be times 100. Right. What do we have to do to be times 100 to that advantage that they have? That becomes the starting point for you to find other, you know, other ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found using AI, which is incredible, it's been a, a mind-blowing experience over the last five years to work with this stuff, is that it provides an insight into non-intuitive values, things that you wouldn't normally think of. And the most common response that I get from a business that goes through this exercise is, wow. I never would have thought of that, but it makes perfect sense. And as soon as they say it makes perfect sense, that means I don't have to educate the market because the market understands the value. It's so obvious, but right. it's so obvious that it's inobvious to us. 
So it's almost like a data-driven approach, right? It's like, absolutely a data-driven Because uh, we just met with a client yesterday where they, here's what we want our target avatar, target client to be. But then like, well, does the data say something else? You know, because people have their ideal, this is where I want to get to. But then they may miss an opportunity to get to that number, maybe like, mm -hmm. oh, so you neglected this because in our, our minds, like it's a secondary service, but that could be a primary service in terms of revenue to like help pivot their business for growth, right? So this is really great that you brought that up because I found that there's four elements that, that fit around that. There's the known knowns, the things that we know and the things that we experience and the things that we know we have to do. Mm -hmm. And there are the known unknowns and the known unknowns are solving for X. It's what's missing that we can deliver, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What we're discovering with AI are the unknown unknowns, the things that we don't know. And we don't know, we don't know that we don't know them. And this is why it's such a surprising um, revelation when you see it. It's like, wow, I never would have thought of that. That's an unknown unknown. And the one that we have to worry about, but is a super advantage for us, especially if you're an older company, are the known unknowns. And the known unknowns are what we know, but we forgot because we've, we've evolved past them. It's the foundational you know, fundamentals that, that you need to build into a product to have it survive over time. But we're at level five or level six. We forgot what was in level two and level three. So mm -hmm. we have to constantly go back and we have to constantly meet our customer on their journey where they are in their knowledge and evolution of the relationship. And this becomes a core part of the analysis of your who your ideal customer avatar is mm -hmm. because they're coming at it from the mature, advanced business that wants to continue to advance, but the market may be at a completely different stage than they are. And they have to respect that in order to, that, to create a connection. And there's a huge opportunity in stepping back to be able to do that as the expert and the trusted guide. If you follow Donald Miller and StoryBrand, I love StoryBrand because you become the trusted guide to the hero of the story, which is your customer who is lost and confused on their journey to their wherever they're going. Yeah. So Mark, for our audience members, as we kind of wrap up that want to connect with you, can you tell everyone how you could be found and connected with? They can find me anywhere on any social media as Mark Coudre. Uh, I am the only Mark Coudre on any social media. I don't know what it is about my name, but it's <laughs> awesome. Mark A and Coudre. My email is Coudre at Coudre.com. And uh, if they want to find out more about the profit analysis and the profit potential, uh, they can go to CatalystPlan.com, um, which I'm sure you'll drop a link for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I wanted to touch base real quick in 30 seconds is what you just talked about as I'm taking notes essentially you're helping your clients compete in the game of chess In the game of chess. You're always thinking five steps ahead Absolutely. of your opponent to kind of, and keep yourself ahead. So that just reminded me of the game of chess and kind of everything you just mentioned. Absolutely. And think about all the different types of move in chess. You know, mm -hmm. the queen can move any direction. The, the knight can only work one way. The bishop can only work one way. The rook can only work one way. Yeah. And the simplest uh, move that are the simplest, um, the pawn 
once you get to the end becomes the most powerful, right? So it's almost oh, like a, a paradox. The pond, <laughs> so. the pond can only move one way and the king can only move one way right? You know, in terms of one step at a time. But yeah, it's, it's very, very similar in terms of limitations and constraints and the ability to compound those together. Absolutely. I think about it all the time. All right. So before we go, Joe, one last quick plug for hashtag Valor Cares initiative. Yep. So if you own a business and that you're missing the foundation piece for your online presence, your website, we'd love to see if we can help your business out by building you a free website. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. And Mark, thanks. Our last 10 minutes really picked up in terms of content. Joe and I were uh, quickly taking notes and uh, just our minds were buzzing and everything. So thank you for joining us on our podcast, sharing that ton of insight in a short well, amount of time. You. Um, everyone, Mark Coudre, the real Mark Coudre. There's only one and the only one, the original <laughs> right here. Thanks for joining us. So on behalf of our sponsors, A Advanced Septic Services and Fuse Networks, my name is Galen. I'm Joe. Coming at you from the BD Local Studios in Tacoma, Washington. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Ask Valor Masterminds podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks.